You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and today we're talking to Sarah Brazier, SDR at Gong, about empathy, cold calling, and objection handling. Empathy has got to be one of the most misunderstood aspects of selling, and hey, it might be actually a very misunderstood topic in general (laughs) with people. And, you know, I think that if we had more empathy, we'd have better relationships, you know, with our friends and our significant others. And I sort of had to learn the hard way over the years. So what I'm really excited to talk about today, though, and if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. I am your host and co-founder at Blissful Prospecting. And our goal with this podcast is to help you think outside the script in your prospecting approach and help you use proven tactics and strategies to set more meetings with your ideal clients. And that's why I'm really excited to have you listen to the interview today with Sarah Brazier, who's an SDR at Gong. She's an absolute rock star. And one of the things that she has been talking about a lot in the content she creates is empathy. She's probably the most successful rep that I have seen in terms of how well-rounded she is with not only what she does, but how good she is at explaining and teaching what she does and her personal brand. She's the triple threat. Um, But I'm really excited because we're going to talk not only about empathy and tactically what that looks like, but she's going to get into how she makes cold calls. We're going to role play a cold call. She has some really great tips and tactics for objection handling as well. So I'm really excited to get into this with you. You're really, really going to like it. And before we get into the interview, I want to let you know about a community that we just launched and you could check that out at blissfulprospecting.com and just go to join the community. And if you've ever wanted to be with a like-minded group of salespeople dealing with, dealing with very similar challenges that you are, um, this is the place to do it. There's a really solid group of people in there. You can network with them, learn from them. There's also a course that I put in there in the future of prospecting. It's got three hours plus of content, and it's got everything in there from how to send better cold emails and make cold calls to how to be more empathetic and how to apply more psychology in your sales process. So make sure to check that out at blissfulprospecting.com and click on join the community. And let's get into the interview. I was doing some research and I saw that you're a journalism major. So, and you also on your LinkedIn profile have one of your video, a couple of your videos actually featured. Yeah. So I was wondering, do you ever use your news reporter voice when you're making uh, calls? <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't, but I could. I, I, I'll pull it out every once in a while when I'm being ridiculous. But yeah, my news reporter, my journalism voice is so dumb. Like I thought I sounded so cool in college when I was, you know, reporting for News 91.7. I'm Sarah Brazier. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. It sounded, uh, for whatever it's worth, I'm not an expert in that stuff, but it sounded, it sounded good. It sounded legit. Oh. <laughs> I just really wanted to be, at that point in time, I was like, I'm going to work for NPR. Yeah. I'm going to be there. I'll be like Guy Ristall or, you know, and I was going to talk like this and have real conversations with real people asking yeah. questions. And I was like, yeah, because like that's the way a, a broadcast journalist sounds. They sound like this. <laughs> so how did that... There's a couple of questions I have that are related to sales because it's really interesting to me that you started in journalism. But what was the like what happened in college that made you decide to pursue a sales role? Because like when you look at your LinkedIn profile, it it's like, oh, Sarah has done a lot of different stuff. But that was the big thing that stuck out to me is well, how do you end up getting into like I don't really see how those two are connected? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So if we're going to go all the way back to college, <laughs> a long, long time ago when I was a young, <laughs> a young woman. So even before, okay. So rewind all the way back to high school, actually. So I did speech and debate in high school mm -hmm. and I was really bad when I first started in speech and debate. I was so bad, but my sister had been a state champion when she was a senior in high school. She's like, this is my sister, Ginny. I have a large family. Um, so Ginny was a, a state champion in dramatic interpretation and she's five years older than me. So when she graduated, her freshman year of college was my freshman year of high school. And I thought, well, I can be a state champion too. No problem. Also, Ginny did it so easily because she literally went to like two tournaments or three tournaments and the third one was states and she won. Like she never wow. lost a single tournament. She was very, very good. Um, and she did that her junior year of high school. And like, it's not easy to win states. Um, and it's particularly challenging as not a senior and not having any experience in the activity. Um, so Ginny won. And I was like, I'll do that too. And it took me four years to win. I won my senior year of high school. And from there, I went to uh, the national tournament. And at nationals, I got second place, which was cool. But the cooler part was as soon as you, you perform on a stage in front of like 5,000 people are in the audience, and then they live broadcast it to all of the speech and debate nerds. So I got off the stage and a bunch of recruiters from colleges came up to me and they're like, how would you like to go to school for free? That's literally what someone said to me. Like she was wow. like, how would you like to go to school from free? I can imagine, I can imagine you walking on our campus. Yeah. It's so beautiful in the springtime. We've got cherry trees and the cherry blossoms are beautiful. I can see you there. All right. Well, how about you? And then like in the same breath, she was like, well, we're going to fly you out to the school and you know, you'll just see for yourself. As soon as you set foot on campus, you'll know that you're supposed to come to school and this was like in the national tournament happens in june so <laughs> it's not a lot of time between june and like yeah. end of august so i was like yeah sure i'll check it out free school sounds great i'm one of seven kids and so i um went there and they offered me a full tuition scholarship plus housing and i was like okay sure i'll do that and um at the time when i was in high school i didn't think that i would do speech and debate in college i thought it would end my senior year and that I would get a degree in speech language pathology and become a speech language pathologist and therapize, you know, like old people with swallowing problems and <laughs> or, or like kids with lisps or I didn't know what I was going to do. Actually, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to be a speech language pathologist for opera singers and help them with vocal nodes and other challenges that specifically affect singers. And I wanted to double major and um, have a degree in vocal performance as well. Wow. Um, so uh, specific. <laughs> yeah, that was my like grand plan for myself when I was, you know, 18. And then all of a sudden I was going to be competing for what at the time was the number one team in the country, actually in the world. We, we're the only team that has won both, um, both national tournaments and the international tournament all in the same year. So you work like minimum 20 hours a week on speech and the season lasts from April or from August till April. So it's, um, it's like a lot of work. So I was like, okay, well, speech language pathology might not make sense right now because I have all of this other stuff. And I also got a bad grade in anatomy and physiology. And I was like, do I want this to be the rest of my life? So <laughs> I went and got a degree in journalism because the school was supposedly really good at journalism. And that's how I ended up there. And um, 
you have to have a minor. So I had a minor in marketing and part of the marketing courses is sales. And there's a guy named Lucas Forbes who teaches sales classes at Western Kentucky University. And his class is like all face-to-face selling. It's just modules of face-to-face selling. Like, here's how you pitch a product. Okay, now go do it. And um, I thought that was really fun. And so in the back of my brain, I always thought, well, if whatever I do, because I didn't know what I was going to do when I graduated college, if whatever I do doesn't work out, I'll always have sales. <laughs> your dad your dad was in sales, right? Yeah my, da- yeah, my dad, my dad is, um, he works for Suez now, but he worked for GE before that. GE sold their portion of the company. He worked for like the water and electric part. He sells the purification things yeah. for like big industrial complexes. Yeah. And like Jim so, Beam was one of his clients at one point. So you had so someone like, in your family. Cause when I got into sales, I didn't, I had no one really in my family that did sales. So I didn't really know what it, what it was. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know what being paid commission even was. I thought that just people just get salaries. Did that help with like having your dad, like having someone in your family that had done sales? Did that give you somewhat of a perspective of what sales actually was? And it wasn't about selling used cars. Like that's one type of <laughs> sales, you know? Yeah. I mean, like what my dad did, my dad did like a very like complicated sale. Like it's, it's yeah. a, it's like a, you know, typically it's like three years before you close a deal for wow. what he did for what he was selling when I was growing up. And my, my thought of sales was like very in-person face-to-face um, selling complex problems. Like my dad, you know, goes and takes like water samples and sends it back to the lab and does all of these diagnostics on the quality of your water. And, you know, are you following all of the government guidelines in terms of, you know, the wastewater that is coming out off your smokestacks and stuff like that. So I always had like a more maybe sophisticated idea of what sales was. I never really thought that sales was being a used car salesman because I knew my dad was doing complicated things, but I didn't think that sales was like being an SDR. I thought sales was like sitting down and having a conversation with someone in person and um, solving like a really big problem and that it takes a long time to solve the really big problem. So it's definitely different than being an SDR. (laughs) So if we fast forward a little bit, uh, one of the things that you've been talking about a lot that I've seen on LinkedIn and maybe kind of a theme for this conversation today is like how to, you hear being human, being thrown around a lot, right? And one thing that you're really fired up right now is this buzzword empathy, right? Mm -hmm. So if we kind of fast forward and look at like how you've built like the foundation for the way that you prospect, and I definitely want to learn more about how you prospect, by the way. Uh, but in terms of the foundation, do you think that empathy is a really big part of that foundation before you even send a cold email or make a cold call that empathy really, is that a starting point? Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like I think first we just need to like define what empathy is because I think that, (laughs) I think that people actually confuse empathy and sympathy a lot. And those are two different things. We just look at the definition. So empathy is the idea that I can see you as a person, recognize whatever emotional things are happening you in you or understand your, your situation, your current status quo, your state of being. And I can go, huh, I know what that feels like. Or even better, put myself in your shoes and think about what it feels like to be you so that I can say, yeah, that's really hard. I know what that's like. I felt that before too. 
it's frustrating. And it's just being able to do that. So like, whereas sympathy is like feeling pity, pity for someone like, oh, dang. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's, that sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, um, coronavirus, that's really unfortunate. Oh, geez. That's rough. That's rough. Oh, yeah, your we shouldn't be making died. light of coronavirus. Guys. No, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be making light <laughs> so of it, bad. but that's, yeah. but that's like, but that's like, that's what it is, right? That's you what know? it sounds so, like. That's how annoying it sounds. What some, some people are doing with their prospecting right now. Yeah. Yes. And so, um, if you think about yourself, well, I think about me and I think like, if I feel this way, probably somebody else does too, because even though we all have our own special little DNA and our own little whatever that makes us unique, special snowflakes, um, we're all human. And so we all feel the same range of emotions. We feel them in slightly different experiences and we have different moments, but there's a, an acting theorist who talks about like, by the time you're 18, you've experienced every emotion in the book that you can possibly experience. Not every scenario in which that emotion is applicable, but you've experienced all of them. So if I, you know, if I think about sympathy, it's, um, it's not feeling that feeling with you. Like if I think about myself, I think I want to feel heard. I want to feel understood. I don't want to feel like, someone is telling me what to do. And sympathy a lot of times comes across as someone telling you what to do. Well, haven't you tried? Well, at least it's not, you know, as bad as so-and-so. Well, it's like someone trying to fix you and offer you advice. And you don't want advice because you want to maintain your, you want to keep your autonomy. You want empathy, which is someone saying, can you tell me more about that? Wow. How are you feeling about that now? Oh, that's frustrating. And then coming back to you the next day and being like, so how do you feel now? What are you doing about this? What are you doing about that? Like that's, that's like the difference. And so when I think about that from an emotional point of what I need as a human, well, as a human at my job, there are things about my job that I find frustrating. <laughs> there are things that are blockers that are stopping me from getting my job done. And if I, if I'm feeling frustrated about something in my job and someone comes in and tells me what to do that makes me even more frustrated because it's like, you don't get it. You're not there. You don't understand. But if someone comes in and they listen to my frustrations and then they say, well, actually, you know, I have a friend who went through the exact same thing, or I know a guy who's going through the exact same thing. Or, you know, for me, when I'm talking to a, another person, when I'm selling to them, it's like, actually, I've talked to a lot of VPs of sales and, and they tell me the same thing is happening with them. Would you be interested in learning about what they're doing to solve for that? And then it becomes the prospect's choice to say, yeah, I am interested in learning more. Because if someone says, hey, you know, I know a guy who went through the same thing as you. Would you be interested in hearing more about that? For me, that's, I get to opt into that. I have a choice. I maintain my autonomy. Versus someone just telling you what to do. I think that's one of the reasons why salespeople hate KPIs so much. Because it's someone arbitrarily assigning them like, well, the whole organization, it takes them 40 cold calls to get one connect. And that can result in a demo. So based on the whole organization's numbers, you have to do that. And if you don't, you get slapped on the wrist. It's like, you don't, you don't, you didn't tailor that to me. You don't know how I'm successful. You don't know me. You don't uh, know me. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to go back to a word that you mentioned autonomy. And I think that word is so important because if you think about 
again, empathy. Let's think about the people that we're reaching out to that haven't that influence or make the decisions to purchase the products or services that we're selling. These are people in leadership positions usually, right? Right. And especially a, someone in a leadership position craves their autonomy. They want to do things the way that they want to do. I love that that's part of the, your approach with empathy is acknowledging that people want their autonomy. That's what people crave. The other thing that you did there that I think is really interesting that I want more of your perspective on, because I think we share different opinions on this. I think that salespeople have a hard time figuring out what empathy is because it's not taught to them. And I don't think they've really had to learn it in their life. I'll put myself in that position. I freaking trained this stuff. And until I started going to therapy like a year and a half ago, I didn't really actually understand what empathy was. Someone told me that my cold outreach needed more empathy. And I didn't really actually understand what that sounded like or um, looked like. So for someone that might not really understand, I'm listening. I'm like, okay, I get why empathy is important. I'm bought into that. You gave an example of that. Can you, like, was this trained? I guess at Gong, did they talk about empathy in, in relation to sales? Was this a part of their training? Is this something you're expected to know? Like, how did you connect the dots? So we're going to say, no, Gong didn't train me on that. They didn't mm-hmm. say, this is how you be empathetic. But we do have, we do what's called tailored outreach, which is truly, it's like an active empathy. But no one put that, put that word and attached it to the, to the tactical application of empathy. Um, I think that we do Sandler training, which is also is about empathy. But again, mm-hmm. I don't think that we sat down in any of our Sandler classes and someone said empathy and here's the tactical application of it. For me, um, I think that I think that if, if you're trying to, well, first I'll go with like, if you're trying to learn how to be empathetic or you're trying to learn what empathy is, I think you'll know it when you feel it. Like, if you think about a time when you were frustrated and you think about what you want when you're feeling a pain, be it frustration or sadness or anger or depression, and you think about when you're deep in a painful emotion, what do you need from other people? Like, what do you need from the people around you to feel supported and not even more angry or even more sad, right? You don't want your mom to come in and tell you to clean your room, right? You don't want someone to act like they're your mom. You hate that. Like we reject that. We push that away. What we do like is when people come in and say, and they sit with us and they sit in that emotion. They feel with us, right? So that's empathy. I think if you can take that from a personal life and you go, okay, so how does that apply to a business world? Then you can start using your imagination to start seeing that. And I think like for me, Uh, When it comes to how I have practiced empathy or gotten better at it is just like through theater, right? I spent, I spent my entire life doing plays, which is my entire life pretending to be somebody else. And um, when you are in a show, you read a script, which is just words typed on, it's black words typed on a white page. And you have to take that script, the literal like, words, lift them off the page and turn them into a three-dimensional, believable, realistic human being. And there's no one telling you why your character is saying what they're saying. You have to use your own little brain box to go, hmm, I wonder why they said that. What are they really saying? What do they mean by that? 
where's that coming from? And you just start connecting the dots. So you have to go backwards in time, go where the result is this line on the page. What happened before that led to this moment that led to this result? And what is this character? And then you have to look forward and say, what is this character ultimately trying to achieve? You do the same thing as sales with prospect, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's interesting because uh, what you just outlined there was what was really helpful for me personally. I was thinking about my own feelings first. And this is going to sound sexist against my own gender, but I think that men struggle with this more than women do. For I don't know why uh, that is. Just, I, I think we could make some guesses. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, a, it's like a societal thing, right? Men are discouraged yeah. from feeling. And right? I don't think that's a good excuse, by the way, for not having empathy. But yeah, I agree no, with it, you 100%. No, it's not. It's not a good excuse for not having empathy, but it is an explanation for mm-hmm. maybe why men might struggle with identifying and recognizing feelings within themselves and then feeling comfortable articulating them. Yeah. Or labeling them in somebody else. Yeah. That was a big like that was major progress for me was, Hey, Hey, when you make a cold call and it doesn't go well, instead of, Oh, positive mindset, stay positive, make the next call. It's like, well, Hey, if, if something didn't make you feel good, it's okay to take a couple seconds to be like, you know what? That doesn't feel good. I'm like, what am I feeling right now? Oh, I'm yeah. feeling rejected. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means I'm, I might be feeling sad. Uh, I might be feeling lonely, like whatever that is, just call it out real quick, identify that. And then you associate all the physical feelings with feeling lonely, for example. So like for me, that's sometimes I feel this weight or this tension in my chest, right? And this is like right. this exercise this my therapist kind of went through with me in identifying how you're actually feeling and what the emotion is. Uh, so I, I love that process because I, I think you really need to start with yourself first. How does that feel? And then, like you said, think about your prospect. And this sounds like such a simple thing to do. And I don't know why more people don't do it, including myself when I was getting started with this. Just think about if I am so-and-so, your prospect, and this thing happened to me, what would I be feeling? Like, what are some of the things that I would be feeling? And what are some of the things that I might be prioritizing in my job to fix that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like what you're saying right now with identifying emotions physically. We do that all the time in theater. It's called physical recall. Mm -hmm. So if I'm like, you know, if I'm trying to play an emotion, um, so, so there's, there's physical recall and then there's also like your memory recall, right? So I can imagine a time I was sad and think about all the events that led up to that feeling of sadness, like my grandma dying. You know, I could imagine all of those things and try to relive that experience on stage as a character who's doing something totally different. Like maybe her boyfriend just broke up with her. So to me, that, those moments don't make sense. But if you can remember the physical sensation of, okay, I remember what it like. I remember what experiencing loss felt like. Remember what experiencing grief felt like in my body. Where does that manifest? It, it starts, it always starts for me with the breath. If you can start, like if you do yoga or, or any kind of meditation and you start learning about the breath, it, all emotion starts with the breath for me. And, and like, you can start there. Conversely, on the phone, if you think about when you experience rejection on the phone or someone hangs up on you or someone's rude to you, you lose a sale. Um, when you, we, first we recognize the feeling within ourselves, like this physical emotion and we label it. We say, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling frustrated. Then we ask ourselves, why, why, why does being hung up on make me feel so X? And then what I do for myself, as I say, is that a rational response? Does the way I'm feeling 
does, does the thing that happened to me, is the weight of what I'm feeling equal to the importance of what I just felt? And if the answer is no, then I can drop the emotion and I can make the next cold call. Because feeling like broken about someone hanging up on you in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean that much. (laughs) It's not a big deal. And then if we do that empathy, we go, well, why did they hang up on me? Oh, geez, well, maybe their grandma just died or maybe they just got yelled at by their boss or maybe they're working from home right now and they're homeschooling their three kids all under the age of 10. And, you know, the kitchen stove caught on fire and who knows like you don't know you don't know or maybe they get a lot of cold calls from salespeople that don't do a very good job on the cold call and it's a huge waste of their time or they try to be really deceptive you know it's like there's there's so many things it's yeah what I'm getting from you is you really take that extra step to and this probably happens really fast for you now I would imagine where it's like okay quick how do I feel all right well more importantly like how's the prospect feeling right now and do you take that then like when you make the next cold call, are you thinking about like, well, hey, what's it like? I always like to say, think of what it's like um, from a user experience standpoint, right? When companies build products, the very first thing that step in that user design or design thinking, excuse me, is empathy. Mm-hmm. So when you make a cold call, the way that we train it is the very first thing we start with is, well, what's it like being on the receiving end of a cold call for a prospect? What are the things that people complain about? And what are the things that they like? And almost everyone will complain about people sounding like a robot, not letting them talk, being deceptive, right? Pretending like they already know them, had a conversation. Do you take any of that into like account when you're doing this type of thing? Or do you, is, it, is it more just like, a, I'm not going to think about it too much? I mean, I don't think about it too much because to me, it's just like, okay, it's having a conversation. So mm-hmm. I worked in the service industry for a while. Back when I was an actor <laughs> and I was... <laughs> trying to be an actor, I was actually spending a good chunk of my time being a barista and the front desk girl at a startup. And, uh, and then like going to rehearsal late at night and just, just exhausting myself. I was exhausted. I did not look good. <laughs> I looked like permanent blue circles under my eyes. <laughs> um, I feel you. But, <laughs> you know, you're, you're up in the morning, first thing in the morning, and you're baristaing and you are greeting people and you're typically the first human interaction that person has and you're working for tips. So you better make that a really pleasant human interaction. And so you get really good at reading. Does this customer want me to have a conversation with them? Are they a morning person or do I just need to make the coffee and, and serve it up to them and just be pleasantly handed over? Like you start reading those things because you start, really needing those tips because you can't, you can't live in San Francisco off minimum wage in barista land. Absolutely not. So you really need, you really need like the, the 50 cents that they might throw in the tip jar or whatever. Cause that adds up at the end of the day. So like, so I think about, you know, that experience of just um, being pleasant and approachable uh, to complete strangers most of the time, people just want to feel like they have had a, a normal conversation. Like they want to feel seen. They want to feel understood in, in the moment and the person that they are in that moment. And um, I think like on a cold call, that's typically what I try to do. I don't try to sound like super professional and use my NPR voice when I talk to someone because that would just make me mad if I was on the receiving end of that. And I don't want to flounder um, for the next line. And I just want to 
make it clear that I'm trying to be respectful of someone's time. So like for me, a cold call is typically like, um, Hey Jason, it's Sarah Brazier from gong.io on a recorded line. Have you been? I think good. What's, uh, how, how have you been? I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Hey, I know it's kind of like a weird time to be making cold calls cause you know, there's a pandemic going on. Um, is it okay with you if I, I tell you the reason for my call and then you can tell me if this is a conversation worth having? Is that okay with you? Sure. Yeah. What, okay. What's up, Sarah? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, I don't know what, what's actually happening on your LinkedIn, but I'll say something like, Hey, so, you know, I noticed on LinkedIn that your sales team actually grew like 200% over the past six months. And then, um, you know, on top of that, you, you lead a sales team, uh, all that in mind. And just considering the current like climate that we're selling in, um, I'm, I'm curious if you'd be interested in, in hearing a little bit about what we do over here at Gong. Um, ha- have you heard of us before? No, I, no, I don't think that I have. Okay, cool. Is it cool with you if I just take 30 more seconds of your time to give you the quick dog and pony show and then you can tell me if it, sure. if it sounds interesting? Okay, sure. sweet. Okay. I, I appreciate the shot. Thanks so much. So, um, you know, typically when I talk to sales leaders, they crave deeper visibility into their customer facing conversations. And the reason for that is there's like $3 million questions that keep them up at night. The first million dollar question is really just, it has to do with their reps. You know, everybody knows that the reps can do better. It's a question of how much and where and Gong surfaces that answer to you. Um, the second million dollar question that keeps uh, VPs of sales up at night is it has to do with their deals. There's a Gartner study that says like 47% of deals reps commit to closing in a quarter actually close. So there's like 53% that are ending in no decision, ghosting or slipping through the cracks. Uh, it would probably be pretty nice to know what those, those are so you can course correct ahead of time. Is that fair? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so we, ans- we so answer what, that question. Yeah. yeah go ahead. Okay. Ask, so, ask it. Okay. Yeah. So, so what you're telling me is that you can, like, I can basically get like recordings of my sales calls, which we're already doing. So we already have the recordings, but what am I, how are you able to get the information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question. So what we do is we capture, transcribe and analyze your customer facing conversations. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, um, you well, first off, does that sound interesting to you? <laughs> yeah, it does. And I just want to let you know, um, you know, I might not be able to set up a meeting, you know, for, for a while. Like this sounds really interesting just with, I'm sure you can understand with all the craziness going on. We're not really spending money on, on stuff right now, but you know, I just want to be upfront. What, you, what you're saying sounds really interesting now. Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, so you said that, you know, with everything that's going on, you guys aren't really spending money, which is, is totally fine. Like I get that. I'm hearing that from a lot of VPs of sales, lots of, Hiring freezes, budget freezes, stuff like that. Um, like, I'm curious for you right now. Do you, do you find that COVID nineteen is is coming up a lot in in your sales cycles and on your deals? Uh, yeah, I mean, my reps are hearing it every every conversation. <laughs> uh, people yeah. are bringing it up for the most part. I'm curious. Do you have like a clear understanding of how much that's impacting your top line revenue? I I don't know exactly what it is, but I I mean we're yeah, sales are down you know, about thirty percent right now okay. off our quarterly targets. So, okay. got it. So, so my ask is is really not like by gong right now. <laughs> I, I'm curious, like if we spent fifteen minutes and I could show you how you could answer exactly how COVID nineteen is is impacting your top line revenue and exactly where it's impacting that thirty percent of sales that you're losing, would would that be worth fifteen minutes of your time? Sure. 
All right, let's okay. go ahead and stop there. Okay, yeah. And that's, and that's why you're the top, are you, you're the top SDR at Gong right now? Uh, yeah, I was in 2019. I had a, I had a rough, okay. I had a rough Q1, so I don't think I'm the number one anymore, but that's what my cold calls sound like. You're still a badass though. That was freaking awesome. I, I love Thanks. how, cause I was about to be like, let's shift gears and get into the cold call and you just go right into roleplay mode. <laughs> I love it. Um, I just find, yeah. I just find like when people ask questions <laughs> about cold calls, it's like, let's just listen to them. Let's just listen to a couple and figure out what's good and bad. Yeah, I love that. Um, let's, let's break that down a little bit. Cause there's a lot of things that uh, you did there that I, I want to make sure to call out the, the, how have you been? Uh, that's the line that we teach also. And, and people at first are like, are you serious? Like people are actually, how is that different from how are you doing today? And do you notice personally doing that? There's a big difference between saying, how, how's your day going versus how have you been? Yeah, there's, okay. So we like went before I even started at Gong, we did like a study on like the most effective starter opener mm-hmm. for conversations and verbatim, how have you been was it. And so that's all I've ever used. We switched for a while. Like some people were doing like, did I catch you at the worst time possible? Did I catch you at a bad time? And, um, I got hung up on more after I did it for a week. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go back to have you been. Well, I think the people you're calling into, correct me if I'm wrong, like, cause you sell a sales product to sales leaders for the most part. Right. Um, yeah. I wonder if that in, in, in tech, I've noticed there's like this little bubble of like people doing the same stuff. Like they hear you talk about it on a podcast and they call those same people that are sales leaders of tech companies. And I'm wondering if it's because they've heard that a lot of times before. I think so. What I think is the most important thing is that, first of all, I don't like how you're doing today because it's too many words. Have you been is is three. Mm-hmm. And so you can just kind of cut to the point. I feel like when I talk to a VP of sales, they are all about, you know, maximizing, <laughs> maximizing the time in, in, and yeah. just only spending a small amount. So brevity is, is key. Um, so just like, and being able to hear that in their voice and read it and just be like, okay, cool. This is a fast call. You know, we're just going to play, play with whatever they give me back after the, have you been? Um, but how are you doing today? It feels a little formal. How often do you say to your friend or you text your mom or say to anybody, how are you doing a day? Like it, I feel like I'm a kindergarten teacher when I say that. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't feel, that's what I love about how have you been? Because that's it with a good friend. I'm really like, dude, how have you been? What's up? You know, yeah. like, how have you been lately? Um, I wanted to call that out because I, I know that's a big thing that you guys talk about a lot at Gong and you have data behind that line too, which is, which is super cool. So you're a really big fan of upfront contracts. I can tell. So, cause I've heard you talk about Sandler a lot. Mm-hmm. And for someone that's maybe unfamiliar to upfront contracts, um, what's the psychology behind an upfront contract? Why, do, yeah. why does it work? Yeah. I don't know if I can tell you the Sandler psychology. I can tell you what I learned when I was a middle school teacher and why I believe in them. So if you think about, if you run your mind back to when you were in middle school or high school or just school in general, or even in college, when you walk in the door, the first thing you do is look at the agenda because you want to know how long do I have to pay attention? What am I going to do today? And if you don't have that agenda on the board, what's the first thing that kids ask the teacher when they walk in the door? What are we talking about today? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think the same thing happens when you have a, in a, a call with a, with a prospect. Half the time, if I set a meeting for my AE, that, that VP of sales was like, yeah, Sarah was good on the phone. I feel like it sounded interesting. Honestly, I can't remember. Like, it's been a week. 
what about what are we talking about? Like they need to be reminded of what the schedule is going to be like. And they also want to know, like, am I really going to sit through 30 minutes of a demo or is this going to be interactive? What am I what am I getting in for? And I think. So that's part of it is like you can set expectations, you can set very clear expectations. You also in an upfront contract, you get your prospect to agree to your terms so you can control the conversation. And you can make sure that you cover any of the hidden objections that you think might happen in the sales call. So on, on a discovery call, um, you know, you say like, okay, you know, I know you're going to have some questions for me about Gong and, you know, how we're helping out businesses in your space. I have some questions for you specifically around, you know, what are you focused on right now? What is your number one priority? And what are the challenges that you, you see moving forward? Typically a conversation like this goes one of two ways. The first is that, you know, we realize um, this isn't a good fit. If that's the case, would you feel comfortable telling me no? And then you pause and you wait for your that. prospect to opt in because then you all of a sudden have given them permission to back out. So you both, you don't waste each other's yeah. time. One of the things I want to point out there too, on the, from the prospects end of the deal is that people don't feel good about rejecting. Most people don't want to reject a salesperson which is why a lot of times they'll say, oh, this sounds really good. And they never call you back afterwards. So I love that you're disarming them there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that also allows you to, when you get to the end of the call, so then you say, you know, my hope for the, for this call is that we do realize that actually there, there is, there's some potential for us to work together. In which case the next step is after this discovery call, we can spend the last five minutes of this conversation setting up, you know, our next steps, which for us would be a demo of the product. Does that sound fair? And so like, then if you get to that part of the conversation later on and they're like, "Mm," you say like, are we going to set up next steps? And like, oh, I don't know. Can I just get back to you? You can say, you know, listen, Jason, you you told me at the beginning of this call, you you would feel comfortable telling me no. Am am I, I, I'm getting the sense that that's, that, that this isn't a good fit. Does that sound right? And you can just disarm them with that instead of saying it at the very end of the conversation when it's all kind of hazy and you're getting happy ears because they tell you they're going to send you an email with times, you know? (laughs) No, I I love this. So you got the opening line, the upfront contract, and you did two upfront contracts um, in there, which was, which was interesting. I really like that. And I mean, this is a, the messaging framework is very similar to uh, what we teach called the reply method, but you opened up with like the personalization, like what did you see? Essentially you opened up with empathy. And then you talked about sort of how, like the idea that you want to talk about in terms of how you can help. So after you did that second upfront contract, how did you guys find out what those, like a technique you used there that was really cool was you said, essentially, hey, people like you that I talk to have these three big questions that they're trying to find answers to that keep them up at night. Is that something that you guys worked on together? Is that something you found? Like, how did you guys come up with those questions? I thought that was really cool. That that's like major empathy, by the way, for a VP of sales are like, even if only one of those is right, they're gonna be like, Oh, wow, that is something I think about all the time. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like been a collaboration that's happened over the course of like several years. But yeah. the, the most recent is with Sandler, and we call them pain indicators. But um, first of all, if you say you're not alone, there's people exactly like you who are experiencing yeah. the exact same thing as you people want to feel validated in their pain. I'm sure that you you and any of our listeners right now have had a moment when they've said, am I crazy for thinking this? Am I crazy for feeling this? 
and they've literally asked, I've been asked and I've asked the question, like, is my emotional whatever off base? Because they want to feel validated that the problem that they have is universal because no one ever wants to feel like the one idiot who can't get it right. <laughs> and so if you, if you say like, I've been talking to a lot of VPs of sales who are having these problems, which are real problems. And they also address like three very distinct, distinct portions of our skew, like those three pillars or, or three pain points around people, deals, and strategy. Like if, if you can, you know, uh, present those to, to someone and they, um, sorry, my boyfriend just walked in the door, <laughs> kind of disrupted my thought. Um, this is, uh, the As life he walks of COVID-19. Off. Yeah, he's, he's got his noise, noise canceling headphones. He's just doing his thing. Yeah. So anyway, I guess, uh, where were, I don't know what I was saying. I, I lost my, I lost my, my, no, role. it's Hey, all good. Very understandable. Um, you said basically people don't want to know, uh, feel alone. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. also just thinking some empathy myself here that almost disarms me as a prospect too, because if you're calling out something that I have a problem with, I could get really defensive about that. But if you're calling out something you notice that other people deal with that are like me, you're almost, you're talking about the problem that people like me have, not the problem that I have. Exactly. Which would be too assumptive. Exactly. Because again, people don't want you to tell them what to do. Like if you think about, if you think about having that autonomy again, you really like, and you, and you think about like being a child. I think Sandler talks about this. Like you've got your child state, your parent state and your adult state. Mm-hmm. Your, the adult in you is the decision maker. This is all like psychology from the 1960s, but I think it ha- it still weighs. It has a grain of, of, of truth to it, but like there's the child in you and you think about the things that make you mad. And that typically has to do with like being a kid. And when your mom tells you, you are X, when your parent says you're being a brat or you're being angry or you you are, you don't want to be defined as that, that makes you feel even more like a sense of I want to reject that because you're putting it on me versus being able to opt into it, which is why if you look at like Chris Boss when he does his labeling, it seems like, it feels like you are X. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it is, it is, have, it has language around it that pads someone from pushing back. No, 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 I'm not angry. No, no, I'm not frustrated. And then they can explain to you what they're really feeling. So it lets you opt in. Same with the problem. Like it seems, it seems like you're hiring a lot. It seems like that would be overwhelming and you might not have a, have a lot of bandwidth for it. No, 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 it's fine. We're gravy there. Oh, okay, cool. Well, my bad. Um, curious then. And then you ask a totally different question about a different pain indicator. Yeah. Dude, I love that. Um, one real quick uh, before we run out of time here. I threw an objection uh, ish sort of at you. Um, what is your, how are you thinking from a process standpoint? Like with objections, like when someone gives you an objection, what is the process that you're going through to sort of talk out? And I hate almost saying objection handling because I don't really feel it's what you do with objections, but what's, what's your, what's your take on objections and how you I approach th- them? Yeah, this goes back to theater stuff where I think about in theater, what someone says says is not necessarily what they mean. There's mm-hmm. also a line in like, uh, I think it's in Alice in Wonderland. Uh, do you say what you mean or do you, do you mean what you say? Mm-hmm. Those are two different ideas, right? And I think a lot of times when, especially on a cold call, you get an objection. It is not the full truth and nothing but the truth. It is, 
either someone writing you off being like, oh yeah, no, mm, we're all set. We're good. And, and not hearing you um, because they feel like you're bothering them, in which case you need to push back. Or there's something deeper that that objection is stemming from, which could be a pain that you could solve. So, you know, if someone says, well, you know, we've had to freeze our budget because it, there's a pandemic going on right now and we don't really know how this is going to impact our business. Oh, so it, there's, there, you don't know how much this is impacting your business. Well, if you had visibility into what's happening, in, right? That was a yeah. ninja move right there, like how you connected <laughs> the objection back to like, oh, well, that's really funny that that's what you want because that's exactly what I can show you how to get access to. Right, exactly. And so like, so that that's how I think about it is like, okay, is the objection real? Yes or no. And also you should always just dig deeper into the objection because someone is giving you an objection because they don't want to call with you because you haven't earned that call. So you don't say, oh, well, what about it? I, I, I listen to a lot of calls where reps just make the ask again. They just ask it slightly differently for a meeting with their AE. Oh, it's like, it's like so tone deaf, right? That's the opposite <laughs> of empathy. It's because they don't know what to do because they haven't practiced it, right? Yeah. Because they haven't done enough mocks and they haven't, um, I, I think about it as like a call tree or something. Like there's, there's all of these different, there's a bunch of different roots. The roots could go in a bunch of different places, but it's, it's stemming from somewhere. You know, the, the true objection stemming from somewhere. So you just have to dig to get to that spot. And then when you get to the true objection, see if you have the, if you, if you can solve for the true objection, because the true objection is probably a deep seated pain. Yeah. And then does your product solve that pain? <laughs> Love it. Well, Hey, I want to be conscious of your time. We'll have to sometime in the future, if you're down, do an episode on objection handling. Cause your stuff I watched on, uh, uh, AAISP, I think it was a webinar you did with them was just straight fire, but, Thank um, you. Okay. So two questions. So one question I always ask is, uh, what's your favorite outbound play? So this could be like a series or like a cadence or something that you like to do. That's like your go-to move. Uh, but what, what is the, what is your favorite outbound play, Sarah? Yeah. So I think it stems again from empathy and business pain. When I'm starting to prospect into a new company, I use a tool called tool called Sentio. Um, it's, it's great. It's like, uh, or you could use something like Seeking Alpha, but I go back and I listen to, because I work enterprise accounts, I listen to uh, quarterly earnings calls. Uh, and by listen to, I mean, I uh, command find and look at the transcript and find the keywords that I'm searching for and look at how the CEO or the CFO is talking about the business and what um, the investors, what kind of questions they're asking the company, because those are the holes that they're seeing in the plan moving forward, right? So I, right there, you can if you listen to that, you know exactly like A, how they make their money, B, what their plan is to make more money, and C, what the potential problems are. Then I take a quote from whatever their CEO or CFO said, and I, and I create an email around that that I send to everyone in the company. And sometimes I personalize it based also on the person that I'm sending it to. Um, it just, it just kind of depends on on who, who I'm targeting from that company. But that's like, to me, is the best way to go about prospecting is coming at it from like, I know that everybody in the company is experiencing some kind of wave from this pain pulse, right? They're being hit with it in different ways. So I have to change my language, particularly on my, because I like booking over cold calls and over LinkedIn the best. But, you know, I just like, I just got to get my feelers out and see like who responds to, 
this pain that I'm seeing in the company, in the business. And if that email doesn't resonate, resonate, go back and find a different one. Um, but that's like, that's like my move. And also it allows you to like scale it really quickly to these enterprise companies. So you can put 35 people in a sequence all based around this one business pain and get, you know, from one company, I got probably like 10 different meetings out of it. Um, oh, just because they're all that's feeling some hardcore multi-threading right there. Yeah. Um, Cool. And before you take off, what's the best place to connect with you? I mean, I'm definitely going to link up to your LinkedIn because you just got to follow Sarah's content. It's fire. Um, uh, where's the best place to connect with you? What do you want to, what do you want people to check out? Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can talk to me on LinkedIn. I try to respond to everyone. I don't always respond to everyone because most of the time I'm prospecting. <laughs> if I'm on LinkedIn, I'm working. I try not to be on it at like night or on the weekends. So like, it's only if I have like a free minute, I'll chat people back. Um, but I love, I love being helpful on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, like if there's anything that anyone particularly wants to know about what I do or how I do it. I'm always looking for ideas for better content to share because there's no point in generating content if it doesn't, it's not helpful. Love it. That was a really fun interview. My biggest takeaway was how Sarah, I love by the way that she went into the cold calling, the, the role play right away. That was super fun. I learned a lot from that. Particularly what I like is her use of upfront contracts in a way that is very personable and I felt like it was very conversational and flowed really well. It didn't sound canned at all. So one more thing, quick favor before you take off. I would love to get a review from you, just an honest review on iTunes of what you think about the podcast so we can continue getting on great guests like Sarah. You can do that at blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes. It'll go straight to the podcast page. Leave a quick, honest review. Let me know what you think. And we'll talk to you soon.